You've applied for a job, maybe lots of jobs. Depending on the company, you've got to get through a resume review, a coding challenge, a phone screen, maybe another code example, and an in-person interview. If you get the job and you enjoy the work, awesome, congratulations. If you don't get the job, it'd be really great to know why. Sometimes it isn't because you aren't a skilled engineer, but what other reasons are there? Well, that's what we're talking about today. Charity Majors is the co-founder and CTO of Honeycomb.io, and we're going to talk about reasons for not hiring somebody. This is a very informative episode, both for people who job hunt, or will in the future, or and for hiring managers and people on the interview team. Thank you, Patreon supporters, for your continued support of the show. And thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to Test and Code, a podcast about software development, software testing, and Python. On today's episode of Test and Code, I have Charity Majors. Now, Charity is somebody that recently wrote an article, and I recently read, called The Real 11 Reasons I Don't Hire You, which it's a great article, and that's why I wanted to have her on the show. But before we get started, I'd like to know some background information. So who are you and what do you do? Yeah, I am the CTO, uh, co-founder and CTO of Honeycomb.io, which is kind of a next generation look at how to do observability for distributed systems. And we're almost four years into this thing. It's <laughs> This is the first year where I feel like we actually know what we're doing and who we're doing it for. And it's pretty exciting. So observability for distributed systems? You said? Yeah. Okay, so is that similar to, are there products on the shelf that you're competing with? I think that, I mean, you could see us as competing with, we kind of sit in the middle of logging, monitoring and metrics, APM, and tracing. We're kind of all of those things. And I think that over the next few years, you're going to see a real convergence in this space because it imposes such, such so much cost on people to have to store data in so many different locations and then to have to sit in the middle of them kind of copy-pasting ideas, IDs from one to the other. It's unnecessary, it's wasteful, and it is you sacrifice a lot of power, too, by not having it just be all in one place. Well, that actually sounds pretty interesting and maybe, uh, maybe something I should learn up on and uh, yeah. talk about later. So about four years for the company? Yeah, four years. Although, like, for the first year and a half, we had to start by just we had to write our own storage engine. I've spent my entire career telling people never write a database. <laughs> never write a database. So I like to be very clear about the fact that we've only written a storage engine, a distributed storage engine, and maybe kind of a query plan or two, but definitely not a database. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we had to spend a couple years building that, and so the product itself is, is more like a two-year-old product. Okay, and how big is the company? Uh, about 25. About 25 people. Okay, cool. Just... That's an interesting magic number. When I moved to uh, Beaverton like 10 years ago, nine years ago, the local site that I'm working at was about 25 people. So Right. It is. It's a fun stage. This whole article, you've been doing a lot of hiring then, or have you been? Yeah, it was kind of our second big push of, of hiring. I started, I've been thinking about this because... Because I end up in, uh, interviewing my my friends, you know, friends and people who I respect a lot, and it's a really weird feeling to like not offer someone a job when you think that they're amazing and you would love to work with them. One of the things I really loved before you got jumped into the reasons why you didn't hire people is that it's important for you to try to make it so that when somebody goes away from the interview process, they feel good about themselves and the interaction, even if they didn't get the job. Yeah, that's a really cool thought and a cool idea to try to shoot for. Uh, So I've done a lot of interviewing and hiring. And in the stress of 
if you're hiring somebody, you have a need and you're trying to fill that. So trying to go the extra mile and make sure that it's a good experience for the, all the people coming in and interviewing, that's extra work that a lot of people don't do. So that's pretty cool. It is. But I feel like anytime you have an interaction or transaction between two people, the person who has more power in the transaction, it's their responsibility to kind of like make sure that, you know, other people's needs are taken care of. And so like, this is a small industry. It's, you know, like we all know each other. We all know, you know, you could even look at this in a very self-interested way and say it's the right thing to do for your own sake, because you're going to want to hire some of these people again, or their friends sometime. You don't like, we've all heard like people talking about the terrible experience they had interviewing at some company or another. And it, it really colors people's view of I had an experience once that was surprising to me. We had went through a process of um, trying to bring on somebody extra to help with our work here. And I ended up doing a whole bunch of in-person interviews. And then a couple of years later, I was at a Python meetup and somebody said, hey, I really enjoyed my experience with interviewing with you. I didn't get the job, but I'm curious how it's going. So... I'm glad I at yeah. least one person I had a good interview experience with. Totally. <laughs> and the person I was having this conversation with, a person who uh, it kind of sp- spurred this this piece, he was telling us the story of a person who turned him down for a job and made him feel so good that every time that he's like looking, he goes back and checks in with that person again. And I was like, tell me how, you know, tell me your secrets. And it really just came down to, you know, the person had circled back to him, you know, very politely, very on time and been like, look, I think you're amazing. Here's where I think that he's like, I'm probably going to regret this, but I'm not going to hire you. And here's why, because I think that, you know, where you want to be, the stuff you want to grow in is more in this data direction. What we really need is more in this generalist direction. So I just want you to know that, you know, think the world of you, even though we don't get to work together this time, you know, and it's so basic, like there's no magic sauce in that. It's just respect and and letting them know how, how you genuinely think about them and thanking them for their time. And and it's amazing that with a bar that low, we fail to clear it so often. Okay. I want to like go through these. Are you okay with going through each one of these? Sure. But that feedback of like, I didn't hire you because blah, do you think that should be in, in a phone call or is an email good enough or... What do you think? I think that times are changing. I think that there are some cultures where that would be seen as an insult if you just did it in an email. I think that in most like Silicon Valley companies, I think it'd be totally fine to do it via email or text or whatever. You do want to maybe, when in doubt, default to the slightly more formal means of communication if you aren't sure how the person's going to take it. But, But I really think that it does people a service if you just let them know. Just tell them people are hungry for information about how they can improve. The worst thing is not knowing, right? The worst thing is just wondering and just replaying it over and over. Is because I said that thing? Is because I laughed that one time? Is it? If you don't know, it can drive you nuts. Like just just giving people some signal that they can kind of like like learn from is is I think a real gift. Oh gosh, everybody's got those painful memories, but the painful one to me was uh, right out of college. I interviewed with somebody and I had to like go buy a new suit because I was out of college. I thought you had to do a suit thing, and then. I drove up, I was in Eugene at the time, drove up to Portland, interviewed. They called me back and said, the suit freaked everybody out. Could you come back and interview again without the suit? So I came back up and you know, I'm a student, even just the gas is expensive for me. And then two weeks later, three weeks later, I get a, or not even, not, I got a, um, a letter in the mail 
with just a single sentence that says we went with somebody else. Oof. Some more information would be good. Yeah. I, I spent like two days on this. It's so easy to remember because it's easy to remember how it's easy. It's hard to remember how personal this all feels when you've been hiring for a while and when you've got, you know, because you've got so many choices and everything just starts to feel very functional and very transactional. But every single time that you're dealing with someone, this is a big deal to them and it's going to impact how they think about themselves. And I, I really do think that it's worth investing in. Yeah, I like it. Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring this episode. PyCharm is hands down the best editor available. If you care about quality software due to its unsurpassed support for running tests directly in the editor, if you are working with both tests and source code, you can have both files open at the same time, side by side. You can even have a test configuration run every time you make a change to either. But really, what I love most is the ability to run tests at multiple levels. Run the whole test suite, run a directory or a file or an individual test quickly and easily with intuitive controls in the project tree or the test file. All of these tools are in both the community and the pro version, but I run with the pro version because when I want the extra power, I want it right away. Currently, the pro feature I'm using the most is the ability to try out and custom Postgres queries against a remote database just right in my editor with all my Vim emulation customizations still in place. Super cool, super fast. If you care about quality, try PyCharm at testingcode.com PyCharm. For a limited time, you can try pro for free for four months. Let's just go through these. I, uh, yeah, I, I like them. Let's, so the first one is what? Scarcity, right? Yeah. What does that mean? I have worked with, there are hundreds if not thousands of people in this valley that I would love to work with again. And yet I have a headcount of like four this year. <laughs> yeah. And I want to be very, very careful about not just hiring all my friends and, and the people that I've worked with who are awesome. Because I, I think, I hate that. I want to let other people have opportunities, right? And I want to build a, a company that's not just a monoculture. So I t- really do try to like cast the net widely. And it's just function of math, man. I just, not only is it not a question of, is this person good enough to hire? Many of these people are good enough to hire. It's a question of, we have very specific goals that we're going for this year. You know, we're trying, when I'm interviewing people, I have specific projects and, and stuff in my head that I'm trying to figure out how this person's going to help us fill. And every single one of them is make or break for us as a company, right? Yeah. Our margin of error is tiny. So it's not a question of good enough. It's a question of, can I see this person like being successful and help being, the, be, being like the difference between success and not succeeding for this thing that I need to do this year, right? That's a super – when you're hiring at a big company, it's you don't have scarcity. It really is just you interview a bunch of people. If they answer your questions well enough, you give them thumbs up and the machine just grinds into action – it's so different at a startup. You have to be very, very, you have to think ruthlessly about what are the things we absolutely need and make that list as, as short as possible because nobody's perfect. And, you know, you really do have to hire for strengths, not for lack of weaknesses. So my company is hundreds of people, but I got five people on my team. I might have an opportunity to hire one person in a year if I'm lucky. And that's super important too, to remember that like we aren't really it's not about, is this the best person? It's about, here's my team. I have a very specific team with specific needs, specific weaknesses, specific holes, specific, like maybe there's this person that I'm hiring that's amazing at mentoring, senior leadership, everything. But I have like plenty of people who are good at that and not enough people to mentor, you know? And so I need to hire someone who is actually weaker in that area. And like, I really do feel like hiring managers at startups, we have to be thinking about the good of the team more than anything. It's about, and that's a very complex, you know, set of things that is not easy to, to communicate. That kind of brings into the next two. So the, the next number two is diversity. And number three is we're assembling a team, not hiring individuals. That kind of all goes into that. 
And I love the idea of thinking about thinking about the skills that you have and the skills that maybe are missing and seeing if you can fill those. And I just recently have started, I mean, it seems silly that it was just recent, but recently thinking about the ability to mentor people as a, a skill to look for in, in hiring somebody. It's really hard to identify those people because they're rarely the flashy ones, you know, but they are the ones who bring everyone above them up to a higher level and they are invaluable when you find them. And they're usually not the best at most of the technical skills, but they love it. Their heart is in it and everyone just kind of magically improves when they're around. Yeah. And the, like the idea of assembling a team, not hiring individuals, there's a whole bunch of stuff that has to get done. I can't have five people that are all awesome at nitty gritty DSP algorithms. Yeah. I need other stuff done also. Yeah. In the beginning, we had a team that was very top heavy, lots of just a few senior people, right? And what we found was our team got better when we hired some more junior and intermediate people because it forces the, the more senior people to kind of talk through what they're planning to do, which helps them find the problems in their ship before they build it. It's motivating. It's motivating. Like you want everyone on your team to be learning, growing, firing on all cylinders. You don't want anyone to be sitting over there going, oh, well, today we got to you know build a web form. What is this, the 200,000th web form I've ever built in my life? You know, and so they're just kind of on autopilot. It's better for the team if you have someone who's like, oh, I get to build a web form. You know, this is so exciting. My first time ever. Like, and everybody's like learning and growing and holding themselves to this higher standard. It is actually, like, I'm not just being like all touchy-feely about it. It is better for everyone, and it makes you have a better team if you have a diversity of levels. I never really thought about that, that having a junior person helps the other people out for lots of reasons. They get to take on things that are exciting to them but won't be exciting to somebody else. And also that, like, that mentor stuff. If you've hired somebody that's really good at mentoring and there's nobody for them to mentor, well, they're going to be unhappy with their job. And it's so short-sighted, too, because... Presumably, you're not just building a team for this year, right? You're building a company, a team that should be sustainable, that should be long-lived. And that means that you need to have this constant churn. You need to be helping people grow. You need to be investing in people. Like we have in our industry a serious problem with people being unwilling to hire junior people. Like it's a real problem because it means that <laughs> it means we aren't getting new blood, right? And it means it's, it's really hard out there for a junior engineer. And it also means that we call someone who's been programming for five years a senior engineer because of the constant title deflation, right? <laughs> and it's just like, like honestly, like if you think your company's going to be around for more than a year, you have an obligation to start hiring people who haven't been in it as long and, and helping them grow up. The loyalty that that inspires is profound. Like those people will grow, like people will spend a year trying to, trying to find a quote-unquote senior engineer that they can hire for a job that they could have easily trained a junior engineer to do in less time than that. Like, it's really stupid. I see that all the time. And also throwing in experience. You need to have three years experience in this, uh, stuff like that. I hate that. And, and there's another thing that I hate about that, which is that I want to work with people who don't want to just do the same thing over and over and over. I want to work with people who want to learn and grow and like do learn and do different things, which means that like if I put out there a job listing, like must have built this before and I, like, I'm going to get the wrong kind of people. Like I want, I want people who are, who are pushing themselves and who are learning new things, not just people who can check off a checklist. I gosh, I still have like a, a special place in my heart for all the all the mentors that I had at my first job because they really helped me understand what it's like to work at a, at a big company. And uh, if that's done well, you're yep. right. They will be like advocates for you for a long time, even if they move on to other jobs. Yep. Okay. So number that was number one through three. 
Number four, I am not confident that we can make you successful in this role at this time. Yeah. What's that? As a flip side of being able to being willing to invest in people, you have to be realistic about. So here's an example. We hired some people who were to be remote on our team. And it turned out we were not in place where we could make them successful because we, we had not changed our we were too young. We weren't in a place where we really knew what we were building yet. So we, we expected people to be able to kind of figure that out for themselves. And we finally realized that we, A, we couldn't actually have a distributed team until we were large enough that we had structure and management so that we could kind of have more formal communication channels. We also hired someone who was very junior, just out of boot camp. And after three months, we realized we didn't have enough junior work for that person to do. Like everything we had to work on was too difficult and we were trying to pair with them and they weren't learning fast enough and we weren't able to sacrifice that much of our engineer's time to pair with them full time. And and we just ultimately realized we were not in a place where we could take someone who was that junior. We could take people who had had one job before and make them successful, but we couldn't take people straight out of boot camp. Uh, we hope to be in a place where we can do that maybe in 2020. But it doesn't actually do anyone any favors to take a risk on someone when you don't have a plan for how to support them. And when you aren't sure that it can, you know, if you are pretty sure that it will work out, you know, uh, and this involves a lot more planning and thinking through than I think most companies do. I think a lot of pe- companies just kind of like hire, drop people in the mix and kind of sink or swim. And I, I feel like that leads to a lot of unnecessary churn. I think that it's kind of management's job to think through what are the minimum requirements for this? How much support can we give this person? If it's a person who, like on the flip side of, I was saying, you know, I don't want to just hire someone who's to do the same thing over and over. But if it's a person who has done none of the things that we have, yeah. and we've done this before too, we've hired someone who's, whose specialties were just none of them were you know, good engineer at what they did, but not. And after six months, you know, I think it was a very frustrating experience for him because he was not used to feeling like, a complete nutter noob who wasn't really contributing for so long in so many ways. It was a challenge for us too, because we were just like, you know, we hadn't really counted on it taking that long and, and we were doing our best to be supportive. But like, since then, I think that we've tried to think much more, much more clearly about the amount of support, the type of support, and is it what we can afford, you know, in exchange for, you know, the value that we think that they will be able to bring and how long we can wait for that value to be realized. I'm a big believer in anyone can learn anything. Like that's not the question. Anyone can learn anything that, that they need to learn, but there's a limit to how much they can learn how fast. And it's very taxing. You really want them to be contributing something of value at the same time as they are learning so that, you know, it's better for them. It's better because they're not just going to feel like a, a leech. Like it's better to have something that you are good at while you are, you know, feeling like a complete beginner in, in these other areas. So this is just, it bears thinking about. It is interesting. I, I like the idea of thinking about if there's, skills the person doesn't have and you're willing to, to have them learn, but you don't have anybody to help them learn that, yeah. um, that's difficult. Some people that really like to have their work sort of chopped up for them to say, hey, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And this other thing. And there's some roles that there's nobody to do that. You just have to jump in and say what's needed. I need to go fix it. This is an area where like, we, I think we've basically come down the side of the first person that we hire in any in given area needs to be pretty senior, pretty entrepreneurial, pretty like 
not terrified by chaos, but like just have the instinct to go in and start, you know, fixing things, bring order where you can and not get too bothered about stuff. This is almost uh, related to one towards the end, which was just, you know, hiring people who are comfortable, who really want to work at startups. But we'll get to that. Well, let's jump ahead then. Number five is the team needs someone operating at a different level, right? That just sounds like you're not good enough. But that's not what you mean. It's definitely not because I would actually say that we have declined more people for being too senior than being too junior. Yeah, so different level isn't just you're not high enough. No, because like there's in any team, there's only so much principal level, architect level, you know, very senior work to do. Like most of the work that needs to be done is just stuff that you just have to chunk through, right? And if you have a bunch of engineers who are way overqualified for what you need from them, they're just going to be restless all the time. They're not learning and growing either. At a company like ours where, you know, we need everyone to be like contributing like full time, we have to be realistic. There isn't enough senior level work. We need intermediates who are still like energized and excited by, by, you know, building stuff out. The team needs someone at a different level. Yeah. And that, that has to do with like someone can be junior in some areas, intermediate in some areas, senior in some areas, way overqualified in some areas, right? And so you just kind of have to look at where the team you have and what you feel would really benefit them. Is the team spending a lot of time on CICD and like, you know, fumbling around, set up, do they need like an opsy type person? Do they need a toolsmith, someone who just like loves internal tools? Maybe that's what you need. Or if you have a team that's, you know, got a lot of senior folks and there's a lot of like egos kind of in the room or something. You probably need someone who's more mid-level. Maybe somebody wants to be a manager on the team. So you really want somebody who they can like take under their wing and like practice their people skills on. Maybe you need someone more junior so that, but who brings a lot. And if you need someone more junior, like what kind of junior person do you need? Do you need a very thoughtful junior person who isn't going to like wreck things? That's, that was always a problem in SRE land, right? Where you hire someone junior, but you need someone with the right temperament. Who's not just going to like cowboy everything do you need someone who's just like junior but fast you know can chunk out just churn out a lot of code and like turn around things really quickly like i've met some juniors like that like they don't know what to build but if you point them in a direction boy will they go fast right that can be great to have a couple of those people on the team that our tendency that we that i try to lean against our tendency is always to hire more people like us when in fact we should be doing the opposite of that we should not be hiring people who are strong where we're strong because we're already strong there. Yeah. We should look for people who complement as well. And that's the one that I and I think everybody else struggles with. How to interview for that to be able to recognize skills in areas that they don't have those skills. Yeah. Number six, uh, we don't have the kind of work you need or want. This is very painful to actually, I've had to not hire somebody that was awesome, but I knew they wouldn't be happy with the work I had for them. Yeah, that's a real tough one. Sometimes they'll agree with you and sometimes they won't. There have been people who have wanted to work here with us. We've hired some of them. Like the one I was talking about before, the very senior engineer. He was just like, I'm so sick of working for white dudes. I just want to work for, for, some, for somebody who doesn't you know, look like just like me. It's total sweetheart. He was a hardware engineer, you know, security person. We need someone who's like just like straight up full stack, you know, web stuff and databases. You know, I mean, he was like trying very hard and working a lot and it wasn't what he wanted to do, you know. And so it wasn't – I just watched over time and I was like, this was a mistake. <laughs> And he ended up leaving and it was all good. There are other times when like someone is wanting to join you because they're hoping that a position will open up that is more what they want to do or they really want to do management. But, you know, it falls under the good problems to have that like lots of engineers want to work at our company because dev tools, you know, it's like catnip for engineers. (laughs) But a lot of times they're wanting to work. The reasons for wanting to work with us are ones where we just we're like, I don't know if I feel good about this because I don't know if I can give you what you want. Number seven is communication skills. This is a big one. Yeah. Although they might not hear you when you tell them that that's the reason. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we select very heavily for communication skills. In fact, the technical 
part of our interview is the night before, we'll send you a piece of code for you to spend an hour, no more than two, please, like just extending it and refact, like extending it and improving it, like adding some small functionality. And we intentionally don't want you to make it better. We don't want it to be finished. We just want you to, you know, make some improvements and, and add this small functionality. And like, if there's more you want to do, just, just like kind of make a mental list of it, you know, because that's not the interview. The interview part is you come in tom- tomorrow and you sit in a room with a couple of your peers and just talk through it. Like, why did you do what you, what you did? Why did, what did you consider doing? What other things might you have done? What were the trade-offs that you thought about? And we're trying to make it as much like a code review as possible. We just want to see how you think and communicate about technology. I always believe that if someone can communicate how to solve a problem, they can get it done. Like, no question about it. And the reverse is not always true. If people who can engineer and build things but can't actually communicate about how or why they did it, they're great engineers, lots of them, but they're not right for our team. Because we really, I believe that the way that high-performing teams are made is by communicating and learning from their mistakes. And so I really value communication. There is some of that, people that communicate well, it shows up in more clear code as well. If you can coherently speak and write, then uh, your code might be better. I don't know if that's universally true, but it seems right. If you can communicate about it and receive feedback, like if in the code review feedback, if you're given feedback about stuff and you you aren't getting defensive, but you're interested and curious and you're receiving it and everything, that certainly leads to you having better code. Okay. Number eight is you don't actually want to work for a startup. Yeah. So many times, like I have interviewed people at Google or Facebook or whatever. They're just like, yeah, I really want to get to a startup. And you ask them what they value. And it turns out that they really need everything to be pre-digested for them. And they're just offended at the idea that something might change or something might not be clearly defined. You know, if you start asking people about process and it's just, it's super clear that they unsettled by the idea that they might have to figure something out. These people don't want to work at a startup. And, and the first time I wrote this, I wrote it kind of sloppily. And I wrote that the, that the bad signal was if people are like so focused on, they want life work balance and work from nine to five and all this stuff. And I will defend my, myself by saying that that is what they usually say. <laughs> That's always what they say. But I value work-life balance too. I value everyone who works here having a very good life and on-call not being rough and all these things. I value that highly. But I also know that it's a startup and things are unexpected and they change and people who are not going to deal with that well are not going to really thrive here. And the way that I wrote it made it sound like I didn't value work-life balance. So I rewrote it and I tried to emphasize that when people say that, it's a sign for me to dig in and ask more questions and find out if it's really about work-life balance or if it's about they kind of re- depend on this giant apparatus of, of stuff supporting them before they can engineer. I get both of the flavors of that, but also a large company might be kind of like what you're describing as a startup because A lot of large companies are a lot of tiny teams put together. It's true. I was at Facebook and I think that what got to me after a while was it's not that, yes, things will be canceled out from under you all the time, but you learn to not care. Like you learn to kind of separate yourself from your work and like you check in to work and you check out. At a startup, there's an element of we're all in it. We all feel personally responsible for this. Like when we were like trying to raise over the summer, like I know that a lot of our engineers, I did not ask them to, I did not want them to cancel their vacations or put that off, but they did because they didn't feel comfortable leaving while the company was really trying to, that was endearing and broke my heart a little bit. But every single person here is invested is I guess how I would put it. And when you're invested, it's different. Gosh, well, we all want that no matter what the size of the company. We don't all want that. We don't? Most of us do. No, no. What I have learned is no, we do 
not all want that. Lots of us actually really just want to not have to feel personally responsible. I don't know. I feel like it's because they got burned at some point and they – I think that everyone is born wanting ownership and and investment. I think that over some people's lives, they get burned and they get – I think you're right. Yeah. Okay. I'll clarify. I really want to work with people that are invested in their job. Right. So much. Yes. Number nine is you just want to work for women. I've been surprised how many, like there's a real unmet need in Silicon Valley right now for people who just want to work for women. Like it's so weird, but like there's so many people who are just like, oh my God, I just want to stop, not work for another dude. And I'm, and I'm kind of like, like that's sweet, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of like somebody t- going, I want to go on a date with you because you're a woman. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, I guess, thanks. I, I don't know. I, but like, it's fine with me if that's what caught their eye. Right. But I would like them to have done some more investigation or found some more things. That, much like being asked out on a date, you want to be asked out for you and who you are and what you're interested in, not for the gender that you happen to have been born. Ah, that's a funny one. I think we've already covered it, but the number 10 is I truly want you to be happy. Yeah, I always want it to be mutual. You know, like the times that I've had to let someone go or not hire someone, I, I always feel like, man, we can see the same thing, right? Like you're not happy here. You're not thriving. You're not going to, you're not going to thrive. You know, my first instinct is to like talk through it with them. Just be like, you see this too, right? But I will occasionally like overrule them and be like, this isn't working out because, you know, because of X, Y, Z. But it's always kind of sad to me because I do want the best for people. And I, I feel like it's never the best for them if it's not the best for us, right? Like they should be somewhere where they are valued, where they, what they have to bring is what, what is needed. And there should be like enthusiastic consent on both sides, not just, eh, well, they've been here a while. You know, like you wouldn't want to be in a relationship like that. Yeah, exactly. And of course, the, the perfect number 11 is that I'm not perfect. I have messed up so many times not hired the person or hired the person it was wrong. And I will again. <laughs> I have as well. I guess enough said on that. But it's just a, a really great, I think it's a good thing. One of the reasons why I wanted to bring this up is I think it's good for people looking for jobs to think about think about what it's like to hire somebody. It's not easy either. Yeah. And it's also, I think it's good to think about how the reason why you're not hiring somebody and try to, I think these are good buckets to have to say, I don't think I want to hire this person, but why don't I want to hire him? Yeah. And be able to say that. And nobody wants to have like the 19 reasons why I'm not hiring you individually. One is enough. Yeah. I would like to encourage more hiring managers to be less scared about communicating. Like you can ask if you're not sure if the person wants to, sometimes I'm not sure if the person wants to hear it. Sometimes people can be in a space where they're kind of fragile and they're, you know, they don't want to hear it. So you can ask, would you like to know why? And, but I think most people, there are way more people who are hungry for information that they're not getting than there are people who are upset about the amount of information that they're getting. I guess before I start putting these into place, I need to talk to my HR department and find out if there's rules around whether or not I can. People will always be like, no, don't, because it opens you up to legal, blah, 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 blah. And that's bullshit. Sorry. Like, you can give perfectly true, unless you're telling people, well, I didn't hire you because you're Indian or I didn't hire you because you're a woman or something. Like, in, this, in that case, yes, absolutely. Don't, like, don't tell them and also don't do that, right? But if it's for a real legit reason that's either about the team dynamics or about the person, I think that HR is too, they're too, like, they're always just trying to save the company's ass and they're not actually thinking about what's best for the ecosystem. I like it. Any closing thoughts that we haven't covered? Mostly just, I want to reiterate, everybody hire juniors if you can. They're worth it. They will hustle. They will get up to speed. They're they're worth investing in. And PS, five years does not make you a senior engineer. <laughs> <laughs> now, I got a couple of follow-on questions. Like, let's say you hire somebody and it's kind of a mistake. 
And you know that's going to happen sometimes. Yeah. Do you have put in place uh, like, um, I don't know, grace periods or something that you're going to evaluate whether it's working? Yeah, it's like a 90 days. I don't know, remember what we call it or whatever, but it's just the, the acknowledgement that you're not going to know until you try. And honestly, this more senior per- person, the more senior a person is, the more I think they that it's hard to, to know because they're going to be able to answer all the questions, like, which is why I'm a big fan of for senior people where possible, offering them a contract to hire. Like try before you buy, like we'll come up with a project. You can come and sit with us, you know, commit to a month or two. And you know, if everything's great because then we'll hire. And if not, like nothing, you know, we'll pay you, et cetera. And no harm, no foul. But like, there's just a feel of working someplace that you, you can't really get, you know, you can't get that. And the more senior you are, the more you realize that people are everything. And some people are just your people and some people just aren't. So yeah, I think those are all good. This is all great advice. One last thing. You really do have an op- an obligation to. So I believe in opening the barn door wider and taking more risks on people. I really, really strongly do. But you have to pair that with a commitment to when it's not working out, you have to pull the plug sooner than we do, right? We, yes. we always wait too long to fire. You owe it to your, your existing team. It's very demotivating when they see somebody who's not getting work done or who's not really there and, and, and not contributing. It's very demotivating and it will bring down your entire team if you don't kindly stop soon. Yeah, the sooner the better. Sooner the better. Yeah. Everybody always knows it always happens too, lo- too late. Yes, give people an opportunity to improve. That's what that 90 days thing is about to me. It's about like once someone has been there for a little while, you have a real obligation to them to, you know, there's people that have ups and downs in their lives. People go through things. Nobody is like participating at 100% all the time. So if somebody struggles or has a rough patch, I'm not saying like get rid of them because no, like, you know, we carry our people through through periods like that. But for the first 90 days, you know, they're going to be on their best behavior. They're trying their hardest and everything. So if you can tell that it's not working even then, just eject, like just pull the ripcord. I guess that also sort of highlights that you need to be in a place where you can be paying attention for those first 90 days. Yeah, it really does. Hiring somebody in a crunch period where nobody can yeah. help, nobody can help them out and nobody can pay attention to what they're doing is not a good idea. No, it's not. Thanks. This is so fun. So thanks for yeah. coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Charity for taking the time for this interview and for being so open about the hiring process. Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring this episode. If you value your time, Try PyCharm at testandcode.com slash PyCharm. That link is also in our show notes at testandcode.com. The show notes also have a link to the article discussed in this episode. Thank you to Patreon supporters. You keep me motivated. If you want to become a Patreon supporter or sponsor an episode, head to testandcode.com slash support. That's all for now. Now go out and test something.